Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Thank you very much. Uh, Good to see you. We're going to look at that part of God's word together. Let me pray for us as we focus our minds there. Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for speaking in this way to us. We ask that you would help us to hear it, help us to understand it, help us to live it out. May the things that we hear and say that we believe really deeply impact us in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, years ago when Liv and I used to do uh, youth camps and things like that, we used to play a game called Silly Sally. If you've ever played this game, you would say, uh, no offense if your name is Sally, by the way, um, you would say, I've got a friend called Silly Sally, I wonder if you know her. And the aim of the game was for you to prove that you do know Silly Sally. Now, how do you know that you know her? Well, I would tell you something Silly Sally likes, something that she doesn't like. So, for example, Silly Sally likes coffee, but doesn't like tea. And if you know her, you'll know why. And you'll be able to give an example of something she likes. Something she You'll say, she likes feet, doesn't like hands. And you say, yeah, you know Silly Sally. Now, if you don't know what that's about, that is completely baffling. But it isn't random. There is a logic to it. There is a rule for it. Uh, there is a way of saying, yes, you do definitely know her. Or no, you, you still are completely in the dark like most people are in the room right now. But the thing is, in the game, you get a lot of people going, ah, I know Silly Sally. I know Silly Sally. Here we go. Here we go. Silly Sally likes TV and doesn't like reading. To which anyone who knows Silly Sally will say, no, she doesn't like either of those things. You don't know her at all. They claim to know her. They claim that they understand. They think, I think I've got it. I've got it. But they actually haven't. And there are probably a couple of people at the back with the same surname as me going, I know what this is about and nobody else does. And it can be a bit like that. Do you really know her? Well, how do I know if I know her? I don't even know what you're talking about. It's a fun game. We could play it later if you like. (laughs) The people John was writing to were facing something, surprisingly enough, a lot more serious than that. This idea of actually knowing Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know 
Jesus. And crucially, how do you know if you know him? Is it like the silly game where there's only a special few who understand and everybody else is just baffled? Or is he actually knowable? And is it possible to know that you know him? Not just be like, I think I do. No, I know I do. Knowing God is the most important thing. And there were people back then claiming that they did know God. And so the Apostle John in this letter is going, okay, well, let's test that then. Let's verify that. Let's see if you do know him. It's one thing to claim it. Let's see if that's true. And here's the test in these verses. We know we know God if we obey God. That's the test here. We know we know God if we obey him. And and verse 3 is quite clear, isn't it? It says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. That obedience to the Lord is a huge indicator, isn't it? As to whether or not we have a relationship with God. It isn't a thing that just makes no difference whatsoever. It isn't a thing where you say, well, obedience doesn't really matter here or there. No, we can tell, we can see, we can know the truth of our relationship with God in whether or not we do what he says. And that means the opposite is true as well, doesn't it? So verse 4 goes on. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. So just like with Silly Sally, it's possible for somebody to say, oh yeah, I know, I know them, I know them. And then it's, you can dispute that and say, I don't think you do actually. Or more to the point with this is probably to check it on yourself. This isn't supposed to be getting us to be pointing the finger going, you don't know him, you don't know him. So much as for us to reflect on ourselves and say, do I know him? Well, that is a huge way that we can find out is to see, am I obeying him? Now, instinctively, I think we know that that is true, don't we? In, in the rest of our lives, people say things like, actions speak louder than words, or words are cheap, that kind of thing. We know, don't we, that our actions are meant to back up what we're talking about. And that when they don't match up, we know that really it's our behaviour that was telling the truth, don't we? We know that in every other sphere of life. So if somebody was to claim to be a vegan, but you know for a fact they regularly eat steak for dinner, you can say, no, you're not actually. (laughs) You're not, because actions speak louder than words. So is it quite as simple as that when it comes to our faith in Jesus? Is it as simple as that? You can see a person going, well, you say you're a Christian. Ah, but you don't obey him. No. It's a bit more complicated, isn't it? Because whereas a vegan is someone who says, that thing, I don't do that. And so if they do, you can go, well, there's a contradiction. Christians, on the other hand, we are not people who say, I don't sin. Remember we saw that last week, didn't we? That Christians are not people who claim to be without sin. So you can't look at a Christian sinning and go, ah, well, you're definitely not then. Chapter 1, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Can you see why this is actually quite confusing? How can John now say obedience is the test? 
If, you're, if you say you don't sin, well, then you're not a Christian. And then he seems to be saying, and if you do sin, oh, that's a bit suspect too. What's going on? Well, whatever this passage means, when it says that we know we've come to know him if we keep his commands, it can't be demanding perfection, can it? That can't be what it demands. Nobody would meet that standard. And we've been told we're supposed to admit our sin, not act like we don't do it. Some people do teach that we need to be perfect or that they themselves are now sinless. And you just need to spend 10 minutes with those people to see that it's not true. But John is saying here, okay, it's not that, but a knowledge of God will lead to a change in behavior. It will. Not immediately, not completely, not faultlessly, but it does change us. It has to. Being a Christian is not just an intellectual thing, is it? It is relational. It's not just about knowing some facts. It is about knowing a person. So in there, that's what he says, isn't it? We know that we have come to know him. We know that we are now personally acquainted with him. We know we're friends with him. We know more than that, verse 6, that we live in him. That we're so united with him that our life is just bound up with his life. That's part of what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? Knowing God through Christ, being completely connected with him. And that's the sort of relationship that can't be anything other than transformational, can it? It has to change us. If somebody says, I know God, but they are not changed, this knowledge of God has not done anything to them, then John is saying, in all likelihood, they're lying. Quite possibly even lying to themselves. I remember hearing this illustration once. Uh, imagine somebody were to walk in here right now and say, I'm really sorry I'm late, everybody. Sorry I'm late. I got run over by a steamroller. You would say, really? Because you don't look like you got run over by a steamroller. You told us, for example, you're not dead, for example. You don't tend to get run over by a steamroller and remain the same afterwards. And just like that, you don't encounter God and walk away unchanged. It just doesn't happen. That isn't how God operates. He saves us with an end in view. He is wanting to change our lives, wanting to mould our character for good. I think that's what verse 5 is saying. It says, if anyone obeys his word, love for God or God's love is truly made complete in them. So God's love, our love for God, his love for us, that has a job to do. And it completes that job. It does what it's set out to do when we obey his word. If we're not obeying his word, then God's love hasn't done the job it's meant to. When we do obey his word, well, that is exactly what God was aiming for. So we don't do it perfectly, no. But we do do it genuinely. We know we know God if we obey God. That's the test here. And it's a challenge, isn't it? That's a real challenge. But to get specific, from verse 7 onwards, John 
has a particular command he wants to highlight. There's one command he really wants us to focus on. The big command to obey is, well, I wonder what you would think it was if you just had to fill that gap in without reading it. What would you say? Okay, you've got to obey God. You really do. And the one not to miss is, well, John tells us that thing is to love Christians. The big command to obey is love Christians. Love, especially love for fellow believers, is the big one. Now, in verse 7 and 8, John is a little bit cryptic, but we can work it out. So in verse 7, he says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. And then in verse 8, he says, yeah, I am writing you a new command. It does like riddles, doesn't it, the Apostle John? Is it old? Is it new? What is it? It's about love. It's about love. The command to love is both old and new. It is an old command because we've always had it since the very beginning. Jesus summarized the Old Testament law as love God, love your neighbor. So love is about as old a command as you can get. If we just loved, well, we would keep all the other commands, wouldn't we? And yet at the same time, the command to love is new because in John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new command I give you Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So love is the new command because Jesus filled it with a new meaning. He's now saying, yeah, love as I've loved you. You were always supposed to love. That was the old command right from the start. Now it's a new command because you've seen what love looks like. It looks like me coming down to die for you. That's what love looks like. And so it's filled with that new meaning. And so that's what John is saying to him. This, this old command, this new command is that command to love. And that's how he spells it out. He gives three kind of examples in verse 9 to 11. Verse 9 talks about hating a brother or sister. Verse 10, about loving a brother or sister. Verse 11, about hating them again. You see, love is the thing he's talking about, isn't it? In particular, love for are brothers and sisters, which means fellow Christians. Now, obviously, if you have biological siblings, love them as well. Love your brothers and sisters in every sense of the words. Uh, we should love everybody. But there is something extra important that he's highlighting here about Christians loving Christians. We are a family in the deepest sense of that. We ought to love one another. Jesus loves his people. And since we are living in him, since we're seeking to live as Jesus did, of course, we're going to love them too, aren't we? A Christian who rejects other Christians is not bearing the family likeness. They aren't walking in the light, as we were encouraged to do last time. So how do we know if we know God? Well, it's if we obey him, and especially by loving other Christians. Now, in terms of how to apply this, in some ways it seems quite obvious, doesn't it? Love Christians, if that's what Jesus commands, then let's do it. Of course we need to do that in our thoughts, in our actions. Let's love one another like Jesus does. Let's give ourselves for people, seeking their good. 
Loving Christians isn't what makes you a Christian, but it is a sign that you are. So let's reflect on our lives. Let's check our lives. Let's make sure that we are being characterized by love. Because we really need to do that. So in all kinds of ways, as we think about how we're involved with one another at church and with the other Christians that we know, to be checking that and thinking, am I loving these people? Not just saying that I am, but could you tell that I was? Would they be able to guess that I actually do love them? Is that coming out in the way that we, that we live? Because loving Christians is such an important way that we show the truth of our claim that we know God. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel as we've been thinking about these things. I said the other week that passages like this used to really freak me out because I thought to myself, well, I know for a fact that I sin. I know that I don't obey God all the time or most of the time, and I certainly don't love Christians the way I should. So I read this. We know we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Oh, it turns out I don't know him at all then. That must be what it is. That must be what it is. And maybe you respond like that as well as we read this. This actually slightly gets you worried. In a way, that's good. It is healthy, isn't it? It's healthy to check ourselves against these tests. And there are a few, as we go through 1 John, there are a few ways that we can know. We saw in the first week, didn't we? Are we believing what the apostles taught? That's a good test. Are we loving other Christians? That's a good test. It's right to check ourselves. And, and so if reading this makes you realize, actually, my life does not match up to my claim to be a Christian, that's a really good thing to discover, isn't it? That's a good thing to realize now so that you can put that right, so that we can confess our sins, be forgiven, so that with his help we can grow and change so we do love more. If that is you, you're reading this, you think, actually, that, that's not me. Maybe I, maybe I don't know God. That would be a good thing to talk to somebody about this evening, pray about with them. But while some people ought to be challenged by this, I do think most of us here ought to be reassured. Now, where do I get that from? Not just because I, I know you and I see you and I see you loving people, but, but also because we mustn't forget John's reason for writing this letter. He's writing to encourage his first readers that they are the real deal. He's not writing to undermine their confidence. Looking ahead to next week's passage, it's full of reassurance. In the next four verses, he will tell these same people three times, you do know God. So his writing here, his intention is not to unsettle them, but to point them to reasons they can be sure that they do know God. Now, if you remember, uh, we, we thought a while ago about how a group of people had left them. And you see that in the second half of chapter 2. A group of people had left them. They had walked away from the true gospel. They were saying about the people left behind, you don't really know God. We do. You don't. If you really want to know God, you should have come with us. And John's writing to address that specific situation. And he's saying, look, we know that we have come to know him when we keep his commands. I think, in a way, our verses today are a trap. They are a trap to catch out the super spiritual people who left. Let me explain what I mean. 
These were the kind of people who said nonsense like, I don't sin. That is one of the stupidest things somebody could say. And so John lays down a bit of bait, I think. And he says something no sensible person could possibly disagree with. He says, obedience is important. And the people who left would all nod and go, yeah. Yeah, it is. That's why we're so great. We're sinless. We don't even sin. That's brilliant. We're on the right track. And he says, you can't claim to know him if you don't obey him. And they'd nod again and go, yeah, you've got to obey him. You've got to be sinless like us. He says, yeah, it's, it's really important that we live like Jesus, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure where you're going with this, but yeah, 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 we do, we do. And then just when they're agreeing, he springs the trap and he says, yes, and the one command above all to obey is love other Christians. And that's exactly what you're not doing. You can nod along to the vague stuff about obedience, but when he gets specific about love for believers in Jesus their nodding would stop because it catches them out. Ordinary Christians can pass this test, but those people who are denying the gospel, who are attacking the faithful, they're the ones who are falling at the first hurdle. These people who think they are so impressive and are trying to get us to think, wow, you are so amazing. He's going, they're falling at the first hurdle. Because they're not sinless, these people, whatever they claim. They're trying to lead you astray. They're trying to make you stumble. They're trying to exclude you. They're trying to disown you. And so they're breaking the oldest, the newest, the most basic command. These people showed that they don't know God because they left you guys behind. You guys who have fellowship with God through faith in the apostles' message. They don't love you. And so that shows, and at least challenges, whether they know him. See, I think that far from under, trying to undercut our confidence, John is writing to encourage us that if we're trusting in Jesus, if we are seeking, however imperfectly, to love our brothers and sisters, he wants us to know we know God. We know God. Do you see other people who trust in Jesus as your family? Do you try to treat them as family? Well, then wonderful. That is a really, really, really good sign that you know God. Of course we could love them more. We should seek to do that. Of course we should. But we aren't supposed to panic. We aren't supposed to tie ourselves in knots and go, oh, but have I loved them enough? Almost certainly not. But we've got a saviour who died for our sins. He forgives those who repent. And so, yes, he calls us to love one another. And that is a good thing to check ourselves on. But we aren't supposed to freak out here if actually we are loving them. We are. In a way, this isn't a very high standard. The Bible's actually quite low. And he's basically saying, here's the thing, don't hate your brothers and sisters. Don't hate them. And that's about a, a continual, ongoing, fixed hostility. Don't do that to your brothers and sisters. Don't oppose God's people. Don't cut yourself off from them. Look down on them for their simple faith in Jesus. Stick with them, put up with them, identify with them, lean into being one of them. And that simple thing is a really positive sign that you do know the Lord. I find that really encouraging. I find verse 8 particularly uplifting in that way. I, it, it hits the real surprise, I think, when he says, I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. 
I wouldn't expect you to say that, would you? Of course we would say love is seen in Jesus. Of course it is. But John writes to these ordinary Christians and says, yeah, and it's seen in you. In your normal, unimpressive, bearing with each other, not walking away, you are showing love like Jesus does. We show the reality of knowing God, not through big, outwardly impressive, super spiritual things, but our simple love, how we chat to one another after church, how we serve each other, how we do practical ways to help each other, how we pray for each other, how we show kindness to each other. Those such ordinary things, he's saying, what remarkable proof. Remarkable proof that you are people who know God. We know we know him when we obey him. Not perfectly. None of us are perfect. We might not know Silly Sally. We'll find out later on, I suppose, whether you do or don't know Silly Sally, but really it doesn't matter, does it? What really matters is that we know the Lord, and it would be good, wouldn't it, this evening, to come away from this evening, not just knowing the Lord, but knowing that we know him in a way that you can see. Dear friends, that's what John would call us. We should call each other that a bit more, probably shouldn't we, if we're loving each other. Dear friends, let's press on to know the Lord. Let me pray for us that we would. Heavenly Father, we thank you very, very much for your word here and the challenge that it is that we do need to obey you. And so we confess before you that we don't obey you as we ought. We don't love one another as we ought. And we are sorry for that. But we do thank you that we can know you through faith in the Lord Jesus and that we can know that we know you. We pray more and more by the power of your spirit with our lives more and more clearly show that we do know you by the way that we love each other. So please send us away from here, challenged, yes, but also encouraged to go on walking in the light with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks to you, Jimmy.